message is part of the media ministry of Cornerstone Church. You can listen to this and other messages on our website at www.corner-stone.org or by subscribing to our podcast. Today's teaching is by Pastor Daryl Ruin. Father, I ask that you would um, grant us grace and um, Holy Spirit, I particularly ask that you would join us in this place as we, as we talk about money and as we talk about what money means from the biblical perspective. And uh, Lord, I ask your grace. And Lord, I ask, um, I ask that you would give us uh, a spirit of um, unity in this place. No other topic that I know of could cause more trouble in a church than money, perhaps. So Lord, we ask a, a special dose of your spirit to be with us today to help us carve through our own attitudes, our own thoughts, our own uh, traditions, and just to hear from your spirit as we talk through the word and what your word has to say to us about money. We ask in Jesus' name, amen, amen. I've never taught on money before unless it was in a text that we happen to be going through. Typically when you come, we're going through a book of the Bible, Colossians or Daniel or, or some uh, some text of scripture, and if it, uh, if it talks about money, then we talk about it. I've never done, that I can remember in eight plus years, a standalone message on money, but you're getting it today. Uh, why are you getting it today? Is there some reason, Pastor, that you decided you're going to preach on money? We're we not giving enough money. Uh, you know, we're we having a crisis with money. No, that, that's not the reason. Let me tell you why I haven't ever preached on money. Uh, mostly because, like you, I grew up in southern churches where they just pounded you on money and stuff, right? We, we, we got an overabundance of give your money and give it with a legalistic slam of the fist on the table. Amen? And so many of us, uh, many of you left churches because you heard too much about money. And maybe if it wasn't too much, you just heard enough to make you, to make you have a bad taste in your mouth because it wasn't presented in a biblical way. Uh, very often... Uh, we would present it in a, in a very legalistic way. And I don't want to do that today. Today what I want to do is kind of give you just a broad sweep and uh, pull out. I'm going to give you about 23 things that the Bible says about money. And uh, don't worry, I'm not going to take more than 30, 45 seconds on each one of them. Some of you are calculating 23 things about money. We're going to be here a while. Um, let, let, me, uh, let me tell you why I am talking about it. That's why I don't typically talk about money. Um, is because many of you have a bad taste in your mouth. And I never want you to leave here with that, with that wrong, legalistic bad taste in your mouth. But the reason we're talking about it today is because, very frankly, many of you have had a lot of questions, not just for me, but for Kimberly and uh, for our elders. I, I've just heard a lot of, a lot of good questions. And it, it seems to me that um, uh, it would be wrong to completely avoid the subject. you know. And um, uh, Vic, who counts our money, and, and the team back there, uh, for every now and then, about once a year, they say, you sure you don't want to talk about this? And, and, and I try and avoid it, but um, frankly, for, for right reasons. But there is a sense in which we need to have a biblical perspective on money. Amen? So we're going to try and do that, all right? Can we do that today? Um, so one of you, if you're there with, uh, with your spouse, one of you take notes. And you see how you do as you line your life up to these. I'm going to give you 23 things, and then i got about three practical questions to end with, all right? You ready? Hang on, because we're going to move pretty fast. The first thing you need to decide about when it comes to money is whose money is it? Whose money is it? If you are a believer, if you're born again, the Bible would say that your money is not your own. The Bible says that everything that we have as Christians is from God. 
We're called in Scripture what's, what's called a steward. You know what a steward is? A steward is someone who doesn't own what they have. Someone above them has handed them something, and the steward takes charge of that. The steward gets to enjoy it. The steward gets to manage it. The steward is accountable for it as they use it. So that the person who owns it, when they come back and ask for a report, that steward has to have had a clear uh, accounting of what he's done with that money because it's not necessarily his. Now, he gets the benefits of it, but it's not his. That's what the Bible says you and I are when it comes to our money and our stuff. We are mere stewards. The first thing we have to understand when we talk about money from a biblical perspective is, right off the bat, it's not ours uh, ownership changes when we were bought with a price, a high price of the blood of Jesus Christ. And now nothing is ever ours again. And we gladly, for those of us who are born again, hand everything over to him who has bought us at such a high price. Amen? It's his. And we're glad to give it to him. If that's not the attitude, then, then you might want to ask, are you actually born again? Number one, whose money is it? It's God's. It's funny. God has really built it into to everything, especially for the nation of Israel. He gave them every reminder that he could that he was the one who blessed them. It was in it was in it was in the very seasons. It was in the very days. There was an offering that they were to give daily for that day, an offering they were to give weekly for that week. On the Sabbath, they gave an offering for that week. There was an offering monthly for that month. For that season, for that season, for that year, they give an offering for that year. For every seven years, they give an offering for those seven years. Every 50 years for those. And you see how it went on and on and on. It was very redundant so that God could remind them over and over and over who was the one that has blessed them. Did they do it? No, they didn't do it. Who did it? God did it. It's interesting. When they went into the, uh, before, before God allowed them to go into the land flowing with uh, milk and honey, he says, when I give you the land flowing with milk and honey, and I give you wells you did not dig and vineyards you do not plant. Be sure that you do not, it's interesting language, do not lift up your hearts and say to yourself, because of my hands I have received these things. And he gave them that warning before they ever got there. I'm about to give you a land that someone else has cultivated. Somebody else has dug the well. Somebody else has, has planted the vineyards. And I'm about to hand it to you. Now don't, when you get in there, think that you did it all yourself. Is that a tendency for us humans? It is. It's very easy to slip into. And the enemy would have us slip into that. That what we've accomplished, we've, we've done on our own. And the basis of our Christianity is that we owe everything to our Savior. We owe all things to God. It's His. Number two, money is to be earned. Biblically, the way Christians should look at money and getting money is that we, we have an attitude that we are to earn it. Proverb, he that tills his land will have plenty of bread. But he who pursues vain things lacks sense. Humans are always looking for a quick way and easy way to get money. Is that right? Amen. We're all looking for that next invention to take on Shark Tank, me included, to make a quick buck. And we have that tendency, we have that bent in us that we could get money and get it quick and get it easy. It's part of our sinful old man that still resides within our flesh. But we've got to fight that tendency. There's something about a quick dollar that, that God doesn't seem to smile upon. Money is to be earned. Every generation we have to teach our children that money is to be earned and not just earned, but earned honestly. Every generation says of the generation behind it. Kids these days, they don't know the meaning of a dollar, right? My parents said it about my generation, I say it about my kids. 
uh, Grady, we, uh, Kimberly and I, we decided that we were going to create some sort of allowance system and uh, way for our kids to earn money so that when we went to Walmart and they wanted to buy a toy, we could ask them, you got any money? And so what we did is Kimberly came up with this uh, Monopoly money system to where uh, she has Monopoly money in a jar on the counter. And if they do something, they put away their clothes, they help vacuum, they help fold the towels, the several chores that she's given them that they can do, uh, then they can earn a dollar or two dollars or whatever it is. Some things they have to do just because they live there and everybody has to participate, right? But some things she says, if you want to earn a buck, here's what you can do. Uh, I got in on this uh, a couple weeks ago and I asked Grady, I said, Grady, I need you to do something, buddy. And I said, uh, I'll give you two bucks Monopoly money. He looked at the job. He said, it ain't worth it. And he walked out of the room. (laughs) He walked right out of the room. Nine years old, and he's already wheeling and dealing. But that's just how we are. Um, It's interesting, in the Old Testament, God would not receive money that was earned in sinful ways. Prostitutes could not bring their money into the temple. Dogs, male prostitutes, could not bring their money into the temple. You couldn't earn your money uh, in a a sinful way and then give it to God and, and expect to be blessed. Here's the, here's the thing uh, that's going to permeate every one of these things. God doesn't need your money. He doesn't need my money. Amen? It's, it's not the money that he needs, right? There's lessons to be learned, and he's growing us through all this stuff. So it's not, it's not the money that he needs. So sinful money, he definitely doesn't need. Okay? Uh, they would ask John the Baptist, what are we supposed to do with the tax collectors? And he would warn the tax collectors, uh, take only what is legal. Don't take any more. Don't overtax those you are collecting from. That would be wrong. Uh, it would be said to the soldiers who would collect money. Uh, not only do you not take more than you should, don't take it by force. Could they have taken it by force? They could, and many did. Don't take it by force. And don't accuse falsely, which essentially just means, uh, you know, you could extort people, you could blackmail people, but that's not the right way to do it. You, you, can't, you can't get money in those ways. Simply put, earn money and earn it honestly. That's the biblical perspective. Number three, give to God. giving to God is a discipline not an impulse. Let me say that again. Giving to God biblically is to be a discipline and not just a move of your indigestion on Sunday morning. Well, Ethel, we don't have any Ethels in here, so I can use that. What do you think we ought to give this morning? Well, I don't know. What do you got in your wallet? That, that's, not, that's not the biblical perspective on how we are to contribute to the kingdom of God. Giving to God is to be a discipline, meaning it's to be something we think through. It's not just off the cuff. It's not just, I don't know, let's see what we've got this morning. Giving is to be a discipline and not just an impulse. Proverbs 3, honor God with the first fruits of thy labor, that thy barns may be bursting and vats overflowing. 1 Corinthians 16, lest you think we're just in the Old Testament on this message. On the first day of the week, let each set aside and save as each has prospered. And so the point is, is that there, there's a process and it's to be given its due there's to be some forethought in this. It's not just haphazard. We don't just give by impulse. Okay? We are to give systematically, not on a whim or according to our mere feelings. Number four, giving allows a person to further experience God. You know this? God uses money to draw us closer and to teach us of his faithfulness. If you do not participate in the practice of giving, particularly financial, then you miss out on watching God move through your sacrifice and his faithfulness. God is so wired things that he exposes himself to us and his character of faithfulness through our willingness to give. Giving allows a person to further 
experience God. Jesus would say it this way, give and it shall be given to you. Paul to the Philippians, I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and a pleasing offering to God. And my God shall supply all your needs. God is able to move based on your faithfulness. He can show you his faithfulness. And if you don't, if you don't move in your faithfulness, then God loses that opportunity to move in a strong way on your behalf. How many of us have missed out on the blessing of watching God come through faithfully because we have sacrificially given and stepped out on faith and done what he said financially and now God is not able to, not able to match our faithfulness. And the truth is God never matches our faithfulness. He goes over and above, doesn't he? He causes our cup to runneth over. To the Corinthians, he who sows much shall reap much. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that always having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance for every good deed. One of the ways you can come to know and experience God is by giving and watching his faithfulness in return. Number five, obligations of money are to be honored. The biblical perspective of the Christian is if you owe money, you pay it. Christians ought to lose sleep if they owe money and they cannot pay their bill. Remember the story of Elisha and the widow? Her husband, one of the, one of the sons of the prophets, dies and uh, she is in need. She's lacking. She can't pay her bills. She can't feed her family. And uh, it's the story of the oil jars and oil just starts to overflow and then she, he commands her, go get more jars and just get as many jars as you can. And, and <clears throat> the story goes that they just end up all being filled up. She's just blessed beyond measure, beyond what she can even uh, receive. She doesn't even have enough jars to take it all in. But do you remember what happens after she gets that? He says, now that you've been blessed, not only are you to honor God for the blessing he's given you, but honor your commitments. Go pay your bills. And then live off of the rest. The Christian pays his bills. Obligations of money are to be honored just as we honor God. Romans 12, render to all what is due them. One line later, owe no one nothing. It doesn't mean you can't take on debt, but it does mean that we're not to be outstanding or late if we can help it. You pay what you owe, and you do your best to pay it on time and on the schedule for which you borrowed it. More on debt in a couple minutes. Number six, money reveals your heart. You've heard this before. Your treasure is where your heart is. Greed in Scripture, from a biblical perspective, greed equates to idolatry. Why? Because it replaces God in His rightful place in our hearts. When we take money and possessions and things, and we make them our priority, then it's just like we've supplanted the king off of His throne, and we've made what we want more important than Him. And the Bible will equate that greed of finances to idolatry. It's just like you worshipped a false god. And that's serious business. That's serious business. In a sense, you never know how serious someone is until they are willing to lay down their wallet, do you? Money is, in fact, the great litmus test of your passions and your concerns. You want to know where somebody uh, is giving their 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 heart to, then look at where they're putting their money. That, that's where their passions, that's where their concerns are. 
And God knows this. It's just how it works. Number seven, money is a means of reward in Scripture. Paul to the Philippians, I do not seek the money itself, but the profit that increases to your account. Does God keep a ledger, you think, in heaven of what you give? I think he does. Paul says, it's not the money that, that I'm impressed about, but I seek that you be obedient in, in what God is commanding you to give because, because God sees it so that God may increase to your spiritual, your heavenly account. Do you, do you realize that God keeps track and blesses you spiritually? He does. Luke 16, if we're faithful with a little, we will be faithful with much. Uh, because in number six, money reveals your heart, um, because number six is true, I think God uses it to shape us, and he uses it as a means of reward as well. Um, number eight, and this may be another way of saying money reveals your heart, but I think it's worth saying a little bit differently. Number eight, God looks beyond the amount you give to the motive behind it. Isn't that scary? <laughs> God looks beyond the motive, beyond the amount you give to the motive behind it. He sees right into our hearts. He knows us better than we even know ourselves. Sometimes we can hide the motives from ourselves even. We can, we can convince ourselves that our motive is better than it actually is, but God sees to the very depths of our hearts. He knows us better than we know ourselves. An example would be the widow's mite. You remember that story? Everyone saw how little she gave, but God saw how much she gave. Not because it was much, but because it was so much in motive. It was a large, it was a large gift because of where she was in her life, where she was in her, in her finances. God saw through what the amount was. Uh, one preacher said he didn't just see her check, he saw the stub. God looks beyond the amount, and he looks to the motive. In uh, the Jewish temple, there would be uh, four brass bowls or trumpets that you would uh, toss your offering into. And oftentimes what they would do was, in order to gain more attention, in order to seem like they were giving more than they actually were giving, they would cash in um, their high-dollar coins for pennies, essentially, okay? And so now you can throw in a bunch of pennies instead of just one large coin. And so you can make a whole lot of racket and a whole lot of noise for yourself. And what they would do is they would go around to the, to the edges of the temple and they would, they would get as far back as they can and they would toss their money in to make a greater noise. And then we have some accounts that people would actually bring their own singers and their own instrument players and they would create this parade for themselves as they marched around tossing their pennies in. And Jesus would say, that's, that's not going to work. Jesus, on many occasions, would address the wealthy who were trying to draw attention to themselves in all their wealth. Don't let your right hand know what your left hand is doing. God would say, if you want attention from men, fine, you've got it, but you're not going to get attention from me. You've had your glory, you'll have your glory here on earth, there will be no further glory. God sees through the amount. He sees all the way to the heart of the thing. That's scary. Paul, if you give all that you have to the poor and have not love, it amounts to essentially nothing, he would say. What's the point? If you give to the poor and you have not love, 
meaning you don't do it in a spirit of love, you don't have the right motive in it, you're doing it for yourself, then guess what? It doesn't matter how much you give to the poor. It's worthless. Number nine, we're to do good with money. Christians ought to look for ways to do good with their money. In the first century, Paul did this. Uh, Christians were losing their jobs, losing their way of making a wage because of all the persecution, just because they were Christians in the first century. And Paul went around and collected money for them. Titus, do good deeds and meet pressing needs. Happy is he who gives to the poor. Remember the story of the Good Samaritan? The Good Samaritan came along and he found someone down and out, uh, not even of his own countrymen. And this was a Samaritan. It wasn't even a Jew, but he finds a Jew. And uh, everybody else crossed the road and passed on the other side. But the story goes that he, that he took this man, cared for him. He gave his time. He gave his donkey. He gave his clothing. He gave his wine. He gave his oil. He gave all that he had. And then he took him to an inn and he told the innkeeper, you finish taking care of him because I've got to go do some stuff. But when I come back, guess what? Whatever you spent taking care of him, you put it on my tab and I'll pay for it. How about that? For doing good with your money. I think that's the attitude God is looking for. Number 10, money is to enjoy. Let me warn you, if this is the only one you remember when you leave, there's probably a problem. Money is to enjoy. Uh, this is an important one for a couple reasons. I, I've, I think there's a trend in, in Christianity, in, in, the, uh, in the generation we're in or in this decade, that uh, we seem to be slipping into, it's an old, it's an old uh, heresy really, and it comes around every now and then, but there's this, uh, there's this thought right now that we are to be uh, as poor as we can. That if, if you got something, you need to sell it all, move out of your house, and, and live in swallow. And, and it doesn't go that extreme, but there's this attitude that is creeping into the church that's dangerous. It's a legalistic, it's a legalistic attitude. Um, the truth is that you are, you are commanded to enjoy your money. In Ecclesiastes, I think seven times we get different different challenges or different commands that we are to enjoy what God has blessed us with. We're to hold it loosely, but we're to enjoy it. When, we, when, when you get your check, you should, and I'll give you more on this in a minute, you, you give to God, you honor, your, you honor God, you honor your, your obligations, and then you live off the rest. Enjoy it. If you want to go to Dairy Queen and get you a dip cone, go to Dairy Queen and get you a dip cone. If you want to go to the movies and watch a movie, order you a big fat pizza, do it. Whatever it is you like to do. You want to go to Foco de Chao or or Bruce Chris, that's fine. Go do it. You're actually commanded in Scripture to enjoy your money. Now, you've got to make sure you honor God, you honor your obligations. And with that money, you can enjoy it. And you can enjoy it with good conscience. Uh, all too often, and it happens here every now and then, I get, I get somebody who tells me they bought something or they got something, they got a new car, and they apologize to me as they're telling me what they got. Well, I got this sweater, but it was only a dollar, so you know, don't don't look down on me, Pastor. Right? And 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 I fall into that. We all fall. Don't apologize, okay? Listen. Uh, of course, we're not to use our money flippantly and waste it, right? If I start asking you guys for a Learjet right now, we don't need it, okay? You you can call me on that. But listen, um, my my wife doesn't need to feel like. And, and, and I'm just using her as an example. None of you need to feel like you've got to come in here and apologize for something you might have been blessed with. Okay? Now, if the Holy Spirit is putting guilt on you because you went out and wasted some money on something you didn't need to buy, then that's between you and God. But the grace of the body of Christ means that you don't have to live in fear here. You don't need to come in and make apologies here. Okay? Can we agree that we're not going to make this be a place like that? Okay? Um, money is to be enjoyed. 
Number 11, commanded to save. We doing good on time? We're doing good. We're moving right here. Commanded to save. Now, there's probably not as much of this in Scripture as you thought there would be. There's a whole lot, especially in Christian circles, about saving your money, saving your money, saving your money. There's not a whole lot, frankly, that I could tell about saving money in Scripture. There is some, because it's wise. Proverb 21.20 There is precious treasure and oil in the dwelling of the wise, but a foolish man swallows it up. What does that mean? Whatever you get, you just spend it and eat it up. As quick as you get it, you use it. There's something not very wise about that, and the Bible recognizes that. Uh, Is it true that most of us, even us believers, we're going to find ourselves on a rainy day at some point in time in our life? Is that right? Amen, that's right. Is it wise for us to make sure that you've got money set aside uh, in case you get hurt, in case you lose a job, there's a cutback? That's wise. So we are actually commanded and instructed to be wise, and you should save. More on that in a minute as well. Number 12, on the other hand, there's a whole lot in Scripture about you hoarding your money. Be careful that your wise saving plan doesn't turn into your, your sinful hoarding plan, okay? Remember the story of the man in Scripture who built barns and, and brought in crops and he was doing so well that he, had, he, he didn't even have enough barns. And the parable goes on that it, that it says that, he, that, that the, um, the angel of death essentially comes to him and says, listen, uh, your life is required of you. The inference is that this guy could have been using what he had for good, but he wasn't. What was he doing? He was just hoarding it. He just shoving it away, shoving it away, shoving it away. Just believing that his life is going to go on and on and on. He could just eat, drink, and be merry. And that his life and his finances were going to bring security. And the parable goes that, that, that the Spirit comes to him and says, Listen, today your, your spirit is required of you. It's over, buddy. Now what are you going to do with all this stuff? Trivia question, what's the only time in the New Testament someone gets called a fool? Not just you're being foolish or whatever, but he gets called a fool. It's that parable. You fool. Time's up. Uh, the guy who taught me the Bible, he used, to, he used to say, boys, make sure your last check bounces. And that's good advice. Why? Because if you just store your money away and hoard it away, hoard it away, the, the inference is you're not using your money. You need to make sure your last check bounces because you're using it in positive ways for the kingdom of God. Don't hold on to it. The fool hoards his money away. So commanded to save. On the other hand, we're commanded not to hoard. Number 13. Can you agree with this? Money can be dangerous according to the Bible. 1 Timothy 6. Instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited. Is that a tendency? It is. It just is. Not to be conceited or to fix their hope on the uncertainty of wealth. Money has a strange way of giving us false sense of security. Proverbs, the rich man answers roughly. Money can do something to our attitudes. It just changes our spirit. It has the power to just uh, warp us, doesn't it? It can create a false sense of security. It's just simply, it's just simply dangerous. And don't let money shape you. Um, what is, my, what is it said about the rich man? It's easier for, for a camel to be shoved through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to come to the kingdom of heaven. It's further evidence that, that money can cause lots of problems. Money can cause lots of problems. Fourteen. Giving is said to be an act of worship. Do you know that? When you give, you can count it as worship. 
God counts it as worship. Paul to the Philippians, I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. Those are, those are portraits of Old Testament worship sacrifices. And Paul to the Philippians equates what they've given to him in support of the kingdom work as worship, as just like they would put an offering right on the, the offering table before God, that it would be burned up and consumed by God. He says it's just like that. What you're doing is giving an offering to God, and God is well pleased. Let us not neglect doing good and sharing with such sacrifices, Hebrews says, that God is well pleased. Giving is said to be an act of worship. Number 15. Um, giving is what you would call, here's the $10 seminary word, an ecclesiastic obligation. Let me explain that. In the Old Testament, the Levites were a set-apart group that were to man the temple of God and they were charged with the worship of God and the moral and uh, truth oversight and the teaching responsibilities for the whole nation of Israel. In the Old Testament, the Levites were instructed not to work, not to farm, and not to fight wars. They, they were given the responsibility of the worship of God and of the care of the children of God. Could they go out and farm? They probably could. Could they go out and be war fighters? They probably could. But their job was not to go do that. And Israel was commanded to set a portion of their money aside so that those guys could do what God wanted them to do while they were going out and doing the farming and doing the war fighting and doing all the other work. You see, if that Levite goes out there and he's a war fighter and the nation goes downhill spiritually, do you think it matters that they're, they're better off with him in their company? It doesn't matter. Uh, God would say to Israel that if, uh, that if you fall into disobedience or idolatry and you could go in strong to battle, you go in one way, I'm going to send you out the other way, seven different directions. You're just going to scatter. Uh, that Levite could help farm, but what good is it going to do if the nation falls into disobedience or immorality? If he doesn't do his job as a Levite, but he starts farming over here, and now the nation falls into disobedience, they, they, they're out of line with the truth, they become immoral, what good does it do that they've improved their, their agriculture? None, because God will just withhold the rain, and they'll be done. The Levites had a job to do, and it was the job of the nation of Israel, and it continues on into the New Testament, that it's the job of the body of Christ to support those, to set aside those why? Because the nation and the body of Christ should have the attitude that we think it's important enough that we guard our spiritual side so that we'll set some guys aside and we'll let them just focus on this. And we're not going to bother them with this. They need food, we'll give them food. They need a place to stay, we'll provide a place for them to stay. You don't worry about that. We'll take care of that. You keep us in line spiritually. You do what God commands you to do. We'll do what we need to do. That's that's part of the biblical perspective on how we handle our money. It's not just Old Testament. It continues into the New Testament. The nation of Israel gave a tenth so that the Levite could focus their attentions. They saw the Levite role as an important one. Paul in 1 Corinthians 9, Those who preach the gospel shall live by the gospel. What does that mean? The ones who are dedicated to preach the gospel do the work of the ministry, shepherd the flock, equip the saints, that's their livelihood. 
That's their livelihood. Can they do something else? They can. Are they required to? They're not. Should the nation, should the body take care of them? They should. What attitude should we have? We should have the attitude that that the spiritual weight of our life is important enough that we're going to take a few guys and we're going to set them aside over here. And we're going to make sure they have what they need. And they're going to make sure that they keep us on track. We're going to let them study. We're going to let them teach. We're going to let them counsel. We're going to let them shepherd. You focus on that. We'll go out here and we'll fight the wars. We'll, we'll make the money. We'll get the food. You focus on that. That's a biblical perspective. We've got to have it. As best we can, we set those guys aside and we let them focus their efforts for the all of us. What about Paul, you might say? Somebody always says, what about Paul? Didn't he make tents? He did. We're not sure how long he made tents. What I like about Paul is he was willing to do whatever he needed to do for the kingdom of God. And so he made tents. Uh, I would say, though, if you read carefully, that we, get it, we, we probably get indications that, that Paul started to be taken care of by the, uh, the churches that he helped establish to the point where he would say, I- I'm amply supplied. I think there was probably a point he wasn't making tents anymore. If he needed to make tents, he made tents. Um, my attitude as a pastor and as the one who uh, helps lead our elders into hiring people and if we're ever going to bring people on staff, etc., uh, just, just my, my long-term perspective on bringing on staff, etc. Here, here's just my gut, this pastor's way I look at it. I look for guys who are willing to do the job no matter what it takes, they'll do whatever it takes. they got to get two part-time jobs, they'll get two part-time jobs. We can't pay them very much. If God tells them to do it, they'll do it. I'm looking for that kind of guy with that kind of attitude. But my return attitude is this. I want to make sure that we spoil those guys. You give me a guy with that kind of heart, I want to make sure he can take his kids to Disney just as well. Uh, I had a guy tell me once early on in our church, he came to my house and he said, I, th- I think your, your house is way too nice, Pastor. He told me this. I think your landscaping is too elaborate. And I think you need to live poor. Um, he's not here anymore. I, I thanked him and said, I'll consider that. That's not the attitude that, w- that we ought to have, though. Again, we don't, Learjets, out of the question, okay? That's not what we're talking about here. Biblical perspective on money, that's what we're talking about. All right. Lots of indication that, uh, that Paul got taken care of, but he did what he needed to do. Um, the guys we want to take care of are the guys who are willing to say, I'll do what I need to do. All right? And if at times we need to do what we need to do, we'll do what we need to do. All right? Number 16. Uh, Giving is to be cheerful. You've heard this before. The Greek word is like our word hilarious. And it talks about being cheerful. One of my favorite stories is in the Old Testament. A guy named Naaman. He comes and he comes all cocky and he comes with an entourage. And he comes to Elisha and he he, he wants to buy his salvation. And he brings clothes and he brings trunks of money. And he brings, brings this whole team of people and he tries to impress the prophet of God. And uh, the prophet of God sends his messenger out and says, listen, go dunk yourself in a dirty river seven times, look foolish, and then God will save you and you'll be washed clean. He had leprosy. And, uh, and so Naaman, after, uh, after one of his own servants, challenges him to just humble himself and do what he needs to do. He does it and he gets saved. And there's this miraculous transformation. I love reading the story of Naaman after he is healed. He goes to the prophet of God and he says, listen, I've been trying to buy stuff, essentially. Take everything I have. And the prophet says, I don't want any of it. 
I don't want any of it because I don't want you ever to look back and think that you've bought something from God. So you keep your money, you keep your stuff. And he sent him on his way. But the prophet had a, uh, he had a bad apple in the bunch, a guy named Gehazi. And Gehazi saw all this stuff. And the story goes that Gehazi ran after Naaman as Naaman was returning to his homeland. He ran after the guy without the prophet's knowledge. And he says, listen, uh, we've got some of the sons of the prophets coming to visit. And we could use some of that money, actually. We, we, we've reconsidered your offer. Could you give us a talent? And Naaman jumps off his horse and he says, listen, take two. That's the attitude of the guy who's born again. He gives cheerfully, without hesitancy. He's looking for opportunities to give. Whatever it takes, take two. Paul said to the Macedonian churches, they begged us with much entreaty for the favor of participation in the support of the saints. Is that your testimony? Have you ever begged God for opportunities to give away what you have? To bless the saints? <laughs> I've found that there are some people who are just looking for ways to give their money away and to bless God with it. But I've also found in my time as a pastor that there are those who are just looking for excuses to hold on to their money. Keyword, their money. Number 17. Giving, biblically, is to be proportional. This is a tough one, maybe, for you. 1 Corinthians 16. On the first day of the week, let each set aside and save as each has prospered. What does that mean? Giving is not based on the lowest common denominator of the body that you surround yourself with. So if we've got a guy in the church who's simply only able to give uh, a dollar a month, whatever you got, it doesn't mean we all lower our standards and say, well, he can give a dollar, so that's the standard for all of us. We all, that's the lowest common denominator, so what would be fair to do is we all give a dollar. That's not the biblical view of, of the standard of how we give. According to the Bible, our view is that we give in proportion to what we have. That may be hard for some of you. We're not told to give, listen, out of our wealth, but according to our wealth. We're not told to give out of our wealth, but according to our wealth. Biblically, we share. Biblically, we don't force you to give to the poor. Your relationship with God makes you a compassionate giver, and you share. Socialism isn't the way. Communism isn't the way. Karl Marx missed the mark. You don't tax the wealthy and take it from them. You fix their hearts, and you let them give it away. That's the biblical perspective. In the book of Acts, you find this happening. You find that in the book of Acts, after, after the Holy Spirit has come, they just whoever was in need, they gave it. That's how it should work. You give not out of your wealth. You give according to your wealth. We give proportionately. For one guy, it may be $10. For another, it may be 100 And for another, it may be 1000 There is no, um, uh, some of you, this may, this may burst your bubble, but there is no real deal flat tax from a biblical perspective. Not when it comes to giving to God. If you're talking percentage, okay. But just because this guy gives $10, we should all give $10? That's not the biblical perspective. Why? Once again, God's not looking at what's on the outside. He's looking at the heart. He's looking at the heart. So he's not, he's not trying to just be fair here. He's looking to challenge your heart. Number 18. Money should be used with compassion. James, come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and your silver have corroded and their corrosion will be evidence against you and, you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure in the last days. Behold, the wages of the laborers 
who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. We are to give and we are to give with a heart of compassion. Children of God aren't taxed. It's not duty. We give out of love, out of grace. 19. Beware of debt. As Christians, we ought to have a proper perspective on debt. Israel could loan and borrow. There's some bad teaching out there on this. The Bible doesn't say you cannot take on debt. The Bible says pay your debts. In the nation of Israel, you could loan and borrow. Now, you couldn't loan to a fellow countryman, another Jew, and charge them interest. Why? They're family. You give them what they need. You set up a schedule and they pay you back. But you don't get extra from them. Sounds like a good plan. But there was a system in which they could give outside of the nation, outside of their countrymen, and they could charge a fair dividend on that money, and they create a schedule and they give it. But the Bible does teach us that we, we are to beware of debt. Pay your debt. The lender is a, the lender is a slave to the borrower? Uh, the debtor is a slave to the lender. There you go. Thank you, Trey. What does that mean? What it means is you become obligated to that person that you've borrowed money from. And you need to use wisdom in getting into that kind of relationship. If you want to borrow money from somebody, that's fine. Pay your debt. Now, you've got to be careful because if you put yourself, if you obligate yourself to someone, you put yourself in debt to another, whether it's a bank or an individual, that, that's of no consequence at this point. You have to now... Always be aware of that debt, and you've got to pay your debt. If you've got a schedule to repay it, you repay it. If you want to go on a mission trip and you're not paying your debts, and you want to go on a mission trip to Jamaica and bless those people and be a blessing to God in Jamaica, guess what? You can't do it. Why? Because you can't, you can't be a detriment to the kingdom of God in this area of your life and figure you're going to cover it by blessing God in this area. Guess what you have to do? You've got to, you've got to honor your debts first. I'll talk about him because he just left the room. My brother got saved um, after I got called into ministry and um, got saved over the phone. I, I, we were in my office uh, at my former church, and he got saved. And uh, I was in the same spot when he called me back a few weeks later, and he says, listen, um, he, he was all excited in his newfound Christianity, as many of us are. And um, he said, listen, I'm trying to figure out this whole giving thing. And uh, he said, I got a problem. He said, if I pay my boat payment this month, then I can't, give, I can't give to God. He said, but I got this boat payment, and I owe it, and I don't have the money. What do I do? And I told him, I said, number one, I'm, I'm impressed you have that question. God is honored that you even have that question. Amen. Way to go. Number two, I said, do not forgo what you owe and give to God. Now, some of you may have a different opinion on this, and I know some well-meaning Christians and some Christians that I very well respect. And this is one of those spots where I'm going to tell you, here's my, here's my attitude towards it. What I told him to do was, you, you pay your boat payment. And if this continues on, if next month you've got to pay your boat payment because you can't pay God, guess what you've got to do? He said, I've got to sell my boat. I said, that's right, you've got to sell your boat. But he was completely willing to do it. Why? Man who's born again, God owns it all. I'll do what I've got to do. Um, pay your debts. Beware of debt. It, it can strap you, and God wants to avoid that. Um, 
You know, in, um, in professional sports, you know what they found? They found that these young men who come out of college where you don't get paid anything, not legally at least, um, they come into all this money and they found that um, it, it, it ruined them very often. And they didn't care about the guy's lives except for that when they ruined their life over here, now they couldn't play ball, right? So you know what uh, professional baseball, basketball, and football all started doing? When you get into the league, when you get into the big leagues, they put you through a course, a required course on how to handle your newfound riches and your newfound fame. Because what they realize is that money can ruin them very quickly. And so they, they teach you, they say, here's all this money that you're going to get. Now here's everything that can go wrong. It's necessary. Beware of debt. Number 20. Um, and I kind of overlapped here. Money can give rise to a great deal of evil. The love of money is the root of all evil. Sometimes we misquote that and we say money is the root of all evil. The truth is money can cause a lot of problems, but the love of money is the real problem. The love of money, the overindulgence, our over-focus um, on money, that's where the real problem lies. It is the real root of all evil. You remember Lord of the Rings, if you're a Lord of the Rings fan, Frodo's got the ring on his neck and uh, Bilbo Baggins, his faithful companion who's escorting him to eventually destroy this ring. It has magic powers and uh, everyone is just drawn to this golden ring because if you have the ring, you've got wealth, fame, and power unmatched in all the world. And there's one scene in the Lord of the Rings where Frodo's got this ring around his neck and it catches Bilbo's eye and Bilbo's just drawn to it and at one point it's as if he just loses his mind and he's he's just drawn to the evil that comes with everything that that ring means and all of its wealth and power and he in the movie you see him reaching out for the ring he says Mr. Frodo can I just can I just touch it can I just touch it one more can I just hold it and Frodo grabs his garment and he just covers it because he sees in his friend's eyes the evil that's there. And Bilbo Baggins just turns for a brief second into this monster and you see in his face, in his countenance, the evil that is boiling up in his heart. That happens. Money can give rise to great evil. 21. You can't take it with you. Did you know that? Naked you came into this world. Naked you will go out. You never have seen a U-Haul being towed by a hearse. Right? You can't take it anywhere, can you? And you maybe have heard that before, but it would probably be wise to, to think about it a little longer. But what you can do is you can redeem it. You can redeem it for eternal treasures. You can spend your money now, here, bounce your last check on the kingdom of God, and you can essentially trade in your earthly riches for heavenly blessings. Did you know that? You can't take any of it with you. But God, by His power, can translate your funds here on earth in your correct use of them into blessings in eternity. And He does it. 22. You should be content. With food and covering, we are to be, what's the word? Content. Paul, I have learned in whatever situation I am in to be content. I know how to be brought low and how to hunger. Abundance and in need, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Most of us don't struggle with need. That's just the truth of it is, uh, of what it is to live in America. We're blessed. We're fat. 
in all the ways that that could be interpreted. Most of us don't have enough closet space, do we? You wish you had one more closet in your house to shove your junk. And if you moved and you packed it up in a box and you left it in a box for two years, you would never think about it again. Most of us struggle because we don't have enough space in our freezer because we're so blessed. Most of us struggle uh, having enough clothes because we're so blessed we're poking holes in, in our belt one more notch because we're just getting bigger and bigger. We should be content. Proverbs 30. Two things I ask of you. This is one of my life verses and, and I make it a prayer to God very often. Two things, Lord, I ask. Do not refuse me before I die. Keep deception and lies far from me. Here's the other part. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Great prayer. Feed me with the food that is my portion. No more, no less. That I may be full and deny you and say, that I may not be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord? Don't give me so much, Lord, that I just get so fat and happy that I don't even, uh, that I don't even give consideration to where it came from. Don't bless me to such a degree that I think that I've done it all myself. Don't give me so much that I forget you and ask myself, quote, who is the Lord? And on the other hand, that I may not be in want and end up stealing and thus profane the name of my God. It's a great prayer. We should be content. 23, here's the last one. What is our standard of giving as New Testament Christians? Our standard for giving is Jesus. How much did Jesus Jesus give? You should never give more than Jesus. That's your standard. Pastor, how much should we give as New Testament believers? Just don't give more than Jesus gave. There you go. That's your answer. 2 Corinthians 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became what? Poor. So that you, by his poverty, might become what? Rich. Jesus Christ gave it all. That's our standard for giving. Now, to wrap up, I've got uh, just a few practical questions that I think might help you here. Number one, are we told in the New Testament to give a tenth like in the Old Testament? I've heard that question a lot. The answer, the simple answer is no. In the Old Testament, God was teaching the children of Israel, listen to me now, because this answer might be a key for so many of your questions. In the Old Testament, God was teaching the children of God, the nation of Israel, about trust and faithfulness, and they were commanded to give 10%. In essence, God taxed them. Children need rules. The nation of Israel, in their infancy, needed rules. And God gave them rules to teach them lessons. Do your children need rules when they're small? Say amen. They do. If we don't tell Corbin to put on a jacket in the morning when it's freezing outside, he won't put on a jacket. If we don't tell Grady he needs shoes to go out and play basketball right now in the winter, he won't put on shoes. What do you do with children? You make them put on a jacket. You make them dress warm because they're children and they need the rule. If Grady's 20 year old and I'm still having to tell him, put on shoes because it's cold outside when you go out to play basketball, guess what? Something's wrong. We've messed up. As children grow, do we continue just to give them legal rules? No, we don't. 
you start to give them as they grow up grace. And you teach them the principle behind the rule. Listen, kid, you got to put on a jacket. Why? It doesn't matter why. You're six, put on a jacket. They're ten. You got to put on a jacket. Why? Because it's cold outside. When you go outside and it's cold, you got to wear a jacket. Make sense? Yeah, it makes sense. So now when he gets to school and he goes out to recess, and I'm not there to tell him to put on a jacket, guess what? He can think to himself, Dad taught me this principle. When it's cold outside, I put on a jacket. Hmm, that makes sense. I get it. I put on a jacket. As we get older, we get principles, not rules. As we get older, we get, we get led and guided by principles and grace, not rules and legal regulations. God in the Old Testament was teaching the nation of Israel, and he gave them a foundation from which they should learn from. Here's what you give, 10% right off the top. Before you do anything else, cut this out for God so that you can honor him. Does that rule continue in the New Testament? The New Testament doesn't say anything about a tithe or a tenth. Hmm, can we just get rid of it then? Do you get rid of the foundational principle just because now you're grown and you act in principle and in grace? No, that would be foolish. You build upon the foundation. Amen? You build upon the principle. The rule is the foundation. You don't get rid of the rule. You build upon it. In the New Testament, we're no longer children. We're called sons and daughters and we're under grace. We take the principles that our Father has given us and we build upon them, just like our children are supposed to do. We don't throw away the idea of 10%. We move on from there. Think about it for a second. Jesus only raised the bar in the New Testament, didn't he? You've heard it said, you're not to murder. Okay, that's pretty easy. But I say to you, what? Anyone who hates his brother is already murdered in his heart. See, Jesus raises the bar. You've heard it said, not to commit adultery, but I say, raises the bar. He who looks on another to lust after them has already committed adultery in his heart. Does God just get rid of the, the principle, the, 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 the rule, the foundation in grace? No. Grace just raises the bar. Here's the point. Grace requires more, not less. More, not less. Uh, I've found that nine out of ten times, let me just give you my pastoral experience, nine out of ten times, people who ask about tithing and it not being mentioned in the New Testament simply are looking for an excuse why they give very little. That, that, that's been my experience. Those who are born again see that God has bought them with a high price and they, they build upon the foundation. They look at what God taught his children and they say, I'm going to use that rule and I'm going to move on in grace. And grace never lowers the bar. Uh, incidentally, uh, for those of you who think uh, the New Testament is devoid of teachings on the subject, in all the Bible, there's probably 500 references to prayer, probably 500 references to faith. There's more than 2,000 references in the Bible to money and possessions. Out of the 38 parables that Jesus taught, 16 of them deal with your money. Why? We've already said it's a, it's a heart thing. It's a heart thing. Uh, question two. Am I told to give all my offering to the local church? Can I give 2% of 
whatever percent I'm giving to a local congregation and so on and give 5% over here and then give this percent to, um, to someone else? Um, the answer is no. You're not told to give all of your offering to the local church. Simple answer is no. If you want to go to God and say, God, um, you've asked me to give this amount. And uh, this month I want, to give, uh, I want to give over here to this ministry. Can I do that? And he says, okay, okay, do it. I think there may be room for us to spread our giving. That's my, that's my answer. I think there's room. However, the example we have from the nation of Israel shows them first giving support to their local congregation, as it were, and to the Levites that they are called to support. We see this in Acts. We see it in Corinthians. Once again, be careful that you aren't just searching for a loophole in the system. If your question of, well, pastor, do we have to give all of our money that we're commanded to give to the kingdom? Do we have to give it here to this body? Uh, Search your own heart. If you're just looking for a way to cut back on what you give to God, then you got your answer right there. But I'll be fair. No, you don't have to give it all here. If God's told you to give this much out of what you get, and he says, you know what, give it to this ministry and this ministry and give this ministry here, this ministry here, I'm, I'm fine with that. There is the principle, however, I think in the Old and the New Testament, that we should give some priority to the local assembly that we are a part of. All right. Uh, last question. Can I give my time as an offering in place of my money? Answer, yes and no. Yes and no. I suppose if you offer a service that costs you money and you want to count that as your offering to the Lord, then I would say that that's simply between you and the Lord. If you want to provide some sort of service to this body and that's what you can do and you would normally charge in the real world for it and you're going to do it here for free um, and you want to count that towards your offering, I'm not going to argue with you. If you tell me that's what the Lord has said you can do, God bless. So that's the yes. Here's the no part of it. Here's the second thought about it. Um, Don't use it as an excuse for holding on to your money. Again, emphasis on your money. Uh, Maybe. But I would say no in this sense. Instead of giving your money, if you replace it with your service to God, uh, I think you might be making an error. Here's Here's the slippery slope that we get into. You might get one guy who says, well, I serve the kids, so I'm going to minus 1% here. And I'm going to serve in this way, so I'll minus 1% here. And I'm going to work in the sound booth, so I'll minus 2% here. And I come in and I, I count the money early on Sunday mornings, and I run that money to the bank on Mondays, and that costs me some gas. So I'll go ahead and I'll, I'll minus a percent here. You see where I'm going with this? It can be dangerous. So you go to the Lord with that, and you deal with him on that. All right? But be careful. Because once again, very often I think we're looking for loopholes. So you ask the Lord about that. Let me give you one more thing to think about in that regard. Think about that question in reverse. What if we had some rich guy that came to me and said, Hey, Pastor, listen, i got all kind of money, but I really don't feel like showing up and uh, serving in any way. I don't really want to do anything. I'm just going to cut you a check. What would you think about that? You'd say, Pastor, that ain't right. That ain't right. Now, why would the reverse be any better? You tracking with me? If we wouldn't let a guy come in here and just write a check and sit and warm a pew 
and never participate in serving in his time, in his talents, and doing what he can do as a part of this body of Christ, if we wouldn't let him buy his way out of that, you might want to second, give a second thought to you saying, because I serve in this way the body, then I'm going to subtract that from what God requires of me over here. All right. Uh, last question. What do you recommend then, Pastor? What do you recommend? Let me give you, let me give you just an easy way. Somebody, I saw somebody do it this way, and so I'm going to show you because it stuck with me. And I wish I had a camera pointing right down on here so you could see this. I've got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. And I'm terrible at math, so we're going to make it ten because it's easy. And they're ones, and that's even easier. So here's ten one dollar bills. And this is my income for this month. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. It looks pretty good. In, in surveying all of what I think Scripture has to say about what our perspective as, as New Testament believers should be, what the foundation of the Old Testament is, where grace has brought us, based on what God has done, taking all things into consideration, here's my recommendation. Here's this pastor's recommendation for you. You got $10 here. What ought you to do? Our very first thing, right off the top, is you need to honor God. I think you need to, very, at the very least... Go off of the principle, the rule of the Old Testament. Use that as your foundation and take that first dollar out before anything else, before it gets spent, and honor God right off the top. Now, think about this. Here's what impressed me when I saw this. Is this just one? <laughs> I've got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine of those left. Look at what God lets me keep. Isn't that awesome? Praise the Lord. Isn't he generous to us? Is it so difficult that we give him this one? Man, that's pretty sad when we think about it in these. You know where it gets complicated? When these become tens and hundreds, doesn't it? That gets a little more difficult. Is there really any difference? I don't think so. I don't think so. What do you recommend, Pastor? You want my opinion? I think, number one, you take that dollar off and you give it to God. Number two, I think it would be wise to take that second dollar and set it aside for a rainy day. Set it aside in savings. I think that would be wise. If that money starts to build and there's a whole lot in there and it starts to uh, feel like I'm hoarding way too much in there and I, I go past what I in wisdom think I really need, then I'm going to take some out and I'm going to find a way to give it away. And so what do I got? I still got eight left here. Man, God is still pretty good. And so now I'm going to take these eight and I'm going to pay my obligations. I'm going to meet my obligations. I'm going to honor God. I'm going to save a little bit, and now I'm going, to, I'm going to honor any obligations I have. Now, what obligations I have, if it costs me more than this $8, then guess what? I've got too many obligations. And if I start having to dip over into here, into my savings, or to what I'm supposed to honor God with, because I decided to spend more of the 8 than the 2 that I set aside over here, then guess what? That just doesn't seem right. I mean, he's been pretty generous. I get to keep 8 of these. And so I ought to live with what these 8 can buy me. And maybe I live by one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, and now I got two left over here. I've saved, I've honored God, I've honored my, I've honored my uh, commitments, and guess what? Now I'm going to Corleone's and I'm getting me a 22-inch pizza right here. We're going to Dairy Queen and we're getting the boys' dip cones. Whatever you want to do. Enjoy your money. Go on a trip. I hope that. I hope that helps you. That, that, that's what I recommend. Um, while, while I got that, um, while I got these ten here, 
um, some of you brought up um, because you know we made a we made a little bit of a reduction to the budget for 2014 as a church. Some uh, some people made just didn't make the suggestion, but I but I heard rumblings of maybe um, maybe instead of our church when we get in ten. Our church has had, has had had the habit of giving away one ourselves. So just as individually uh, we give to God one, our church has made it a habit since its inception that we have always given away 10% of what we bring in. We've always done that. We find a mi- another ministry that we can bless, whether they're overseas, whether they're right down the street, whether it's a missionary out of here, whether someone in this body needs help, whether someone who comes up on the street and says, I'm out of gas. We take 10% and we say, here's what we're going to use and we're going to give it away. And, and in this recent budget cut, some of you have come and said, well, maybe, maybe, you know, pastor, you're taking a pay cut, right? And so maybe instead of giving away that money, we should do that. And the answer from your elders is no, no way, man. No way. We're not going to do that. Why? I, that's not my suggestion for you. It's not going to be my suggestion for us. Um. Somebody, uh, somebody asked me, um, well, Pastor, you're, you're taking a reduction in what we pay you, you know, and, and as we reduce this budget. Um, maybe, maybe that one that you give back to God, maybe, you know, what it represents, maybe since we're cutting this much out of your, your paycheck, maybe, you know, why don't you just uh, give less? <laughs> no way, man. <laughs> no way, man. Um, you get you get that one for free. That's an added bonus. One last thing, and I'm done. What time are we at? We're over. Will you apologize to your children's workers today and uh, buy them a CD of the message? We don't charge anything, by the way. To those of you who have never placed your faith in Jesus Christ, maybe this is your first time here. Uh, I hated the fact that I thought maybe there might be some new people here on this day's message. Uh, I told Kimberly, I said, well, I'll just, you know, I'll just tell them what the truth is. The truth is, I've never preached on this before. And she says, probably every pastor says that when they preach on money. We've never preached on money before. It's true, though. Um, if this is your first time here, more specifically, if you've never placed your faith in Jesus Christ, I want you to hear, if you, if you forget everything else I say to you, I want you to hear this very clear. Don't you dare. Don't you dare think for one moment that I or this church or our leadership would have one thing from you except that you would take the free gift of Jesus Christ that is yours to have freely. Don't you for one moment think that you can give God anything if you've never taken His free gift The truth is God wants nothing from you, but he wants you to take something from him. It's the offer of his son, Jesus Christ, free gift of salvation through the shed blood of his son on the cross because we owed a debt that we could not pay. And so there's nothing. Listen, this is good news. Ironic, isn't it? It's good news. There's nothing that you can bring to God that will impress him or cause him to say, look how righteous that man is. The Bible says that we are all sinners. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. There's nothing I can do to impress him. 
There's no amount that I can bring. There's no check that I could write that will cancel out the debt of my sin before a holy God. And that holy God has to, he has to hold us accountable for our debt. But the good news is he, he knows we can't pay our own debt lest we pay it with our own life. And he sent his son. And his son died on your behalf and offers back to you and I the payment that we could never pull out of our own wallet. The only payment we could offer would be our own life and God would not have us to die and go to hell. So he sent his son. And he crucified his own son and he shed the blood of his only begotten son so that his own son could be the ransom for you and I. And so what can you bring to God? Are we asking for you anything? You who have never been born again, you have never placed your faith in Jesus Christ, I ask you for nothing. Let's be clear. There's nothing you can give God to save your soul. There is something you can take, however. It's the free gift of Jesus Christ, our Savior. And Him we offer freely every day, twice on Sunday. Pray with me. Father God, um, there was a whole lot there and um, my teaching is insufficient. So Holy Spirit, we rely completely and wholly on you to give us clarity and wisdom. Help us to line our life alongside your teachings and to see where we need improvement. And Lord, we, we've had our own thoughts about the subject and we've got our own opinions and we've got even traditions that we've held maybe for a long time. Give us the courage and the humility to take a fresh look at what your word says we ought to believe about money. Lord, do, do the work of the heart in the dark place deep within that only you can do. We'll trust you for it and we'll give you glory in Jesus' name who is our cornerstone. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening today. We hope this message was a blessing to you. To learn more about our church or our media ministry, you can visit us online at www.corner-stone.org or find us on Facebook.